hope everything is going well. It's been a couple of days since we've been out here. And, uh, what are we doing? Everything's all kicked in, everyone broadcasting and everything else. Uh, now I know why a lot of these live streams have a better or similar to this, including of the great safety mystic, Jay Allen, on his live. So he has a little bit of an intro there because it takes a minute for all these streams to be kicked in. So we're on YouTube, LinkedIn, Telegram, uh, three Facebook pages, and what used to be called Twitter. We also upload to uh, Rideon, Gab, and Rumble when we have a chance. All the programs are good. Some programs are better than others. Sometimes you're off. Sometimes you're not. That sort of thing. Uh, like I was saying in the pre-show part of this, where uh, we had a little of a rough week this week, and if I told you what happened, you probably wouldn't believe it. Anyway, I used to have, as the intro to this show, uh, if you recall way back when, some of the stories are unbelievable, I tell. And they don't sound real, but they are real. So we're, we have a short nip of commentary here on disaster preparedness. And then we're going to go into some disaster mental health, uh, because some thoughts came to me this week while I was at uh, auto, at one of my projects here where uh, and I, I, I'm pretty open. Somebody has some pretty severe uh, suffering from depression uh, really uh, as a priest friend once told me the uh, you can't cure normal. So uh, one of my colleagues on one of our projects he uh, ended up uh, losing family members in the course of a week. That he, and he hadn't seen those family members in years. And, you know, you get the whole missed opportunity thing going on there and uh, everything else. And he's suffering from soul health. And so we had uh, gotten together as a group on the site saying, look, rather than give this guy a hard time, let's try to help him. We're better off helping. We're better off because, you know, this is 2023. We're supposed to be a little bit more empathetic towards people. Uh, but there are often people out there that are not, and we'll talk about that. So on Monday, we had an in-depth, and that was uh, Patriot Day, we had an in-depth and detailed uh, discussion on the 9-11 dust, right, from the World Trade Center. And let's realize there were two other places where they had uh, situations at the Pentagon and at the Flight 93 Memorial. I would, if you ever have a chance, go to the Flight 93 Memorial. I was there when they had the makeshift memorial right after 9-11. And, you know, it was tough. It was solemn. Could, uh, if you're friends with me on Facebook, you could go look at what the temporary memorial was. I want to make my way out there to the uh, permanent memorial, but I, I haven't had a chance yet. And all these years, I'm usually when I'm out in that neighborhood, I've stopped. But I have not been out in that neighborhood. And dealing with two children in a car for uh, 10 hours, not exactly the most pleasant thing in the world all the time. I mean, we, you know, we, I used to get the emergency response guidebook. And we used to read off what the hazardous chemicals were on the on the uh, on the highway that we would pass on the on the uh, trucks, right? What the markings were. Opportunity for learning. Anyway, what the idea was for the toxicological uh, study was that the more numbers of chemicals that you have, uh, and they have the same target organ, uh, the less of the exposure limit is going to be. You're going to be exposed to less because your liver and kidneys and other bodily systems could only take so long only take uh, could only uh, excrete things so, so much at a certain rate. 
Same thing with drinking, right? And last week, I know uh, we had the 9,500 degree days here. Came on the air, I was drinking like you wouldn't believe. Uh, right, dehydrated on the air, and I cut that program. I redid it. Had other issues, but uh, so what? Did I, what did I wanted to say? So you go out to a job, right? A disaster site, and there are certain things that you probably need. You probably need a hard hat, gloves. We're going to talk about PPE uh, in a later program. You're going to need uh, hard hat, uh, gloves, safety glasses, respirator, some type of respirator, uh, and 90, obviously I always recommend NIOSH and then following all the rules that go along with it and uh, things of that nature. The other thing is four questions that you want to ask. Is the air safe? What on this with Coast to Coast AM? Is it safe? Is the, uh, now what are you basing that on? And, uh, you know, did you actually uh, run the uh, samples on that? Do you actually do air monitoring? Usually the first two, they're okay, you know? Yes, we're safe. The air is safe. Oh, we're basing this on this. Oh, and these are the, uh, and then it turns out that they don't do any air monitoring. Don't do any air sampling. So how can they say it's safe and everything else if, you know, there are, if there's no, if they did no air, they did no calculation. They can do calculations with certain things. We get that. And certified safety professionals, certified industrial hygienists out there that do that and toxicologists. So yeah, we get that. But if they don't have anything like that, you have a problem. Now, the other thing is this with all, all of this the uh, sovereign immunity. I never thought. In my lifetime, I would hear a discussion on sovereign immunity, but we hear discussions now on sovereign immunity from a lot of people, right? So the way I explained it, and uh, this discussion came up during one of our safety meetings with uh, doing what, you know, all of these companies have this, we have stop work authority. And OSHA also has the uh, policy that you don't have to do unsafe work uh, that uh, and you, but you have to show a good faith effort here uh, to uh, uh, to your employer. So, meaning uh, you try to resolve the issue internally. That's what OSHA recommends. And you and if uh, worse comes to worse, you call one eight hundred three two one OSHA. You get them out there. They're usually out there hours, and you say and you stay by the unsafe area. Uh, no, if it's safe, I mean, IDLH, obviously, you don't want to do that, but you stay by, in the area, in the vicinity, and then you try to resolve it with the ocean inspector on site and everything else. Good faith effort. Bad faith effort. And I'm giving you a sign uh, that you uh, audio people cannot see, and you walk off the job and say the hell with you. That's not a good faith effort, generally, generally speaking. Uh, and... and now you have a problem because now you have grounds for disciplinary action or firing possibly because of what well, you handled it. So risk, what is risk? And we have a hazard matrix table. And on one side, no, on the y-axis, everybody knows y, x and y-axis, right? If you're listening to this show, probably you have a graph. And on the x-axis, you have a variable like uh, uh, severity, and on, uh, I'm sorry, on the y-axis, you have severity. And on the x-axis, you have probability. And you can have a high probability event. And the severity or the, you know, the, uh, the consequences are very high. You don't want to be in that area. No, very common thing with high. No, you want to be in the green area. You want low uh, consequences and low probability of something happen, happening. And that, that's where you want to be. Okay, we get that. Here's a question for you. And this is what I want you to think about. Let's say that you're a person on a construction site or you're, no, you're in the tool end of things. So you're on the tool end. Not that you're a tool, but you're on the tool end, meaning you're doing whatever work. You're at the sharp end of the stick. And you're out there and you're doing whatever. And you you have a supervisor tells you what to do. They have uh, uh, 
What's the incentive for that supervisor to get your work safe? In reality, we're not talking, uh, you know, and uh, you know, uh, where there's a high likelihood they're going to get convicted, like in a state like New York, if, if they tell you to do something. But how about uh, some of the other states? What's going to happen you get, if you get hurt? Go ahead. Think about it. I'll give you a, a couple seconds. You're going to probably nothing is going to happen to that supervisor. What are they going to do? Get fired? You can't sue them. Unless it's something way over the top, very difficult to win that lawsuit. You have a thing called workers' comp. Most people are going to take the workers' comp payout. And what's going to happen? They're going to take the workers' comp payout. Then they're going to go and uh, 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 they'll go on business as usual in most workplaces. Or they're going to give a 452695772 a call or email me at jim at safetywords.com. We'll help you out. But Nothing's going to happen to that supervisor. They're just going to go on their merry way. They get, they'll get a job somewhere else. Company owner? Well, company owner might lose the business, might have high insurance premiums, things of that nature, but all that could be, usually be recovered from. They may have a guilty conscience. Everyone might have a guilty conscience. Uh, some people may say, well, we'll never do that again, and that happens in you know, three days later it's business as usual because nothing's changed. Nothing's going to happen. What about if you're a government bureaucrat and you make a decision? Again, I am now calling myself the safety shock jock. You're a government employee. You make a decision. What's the worst thing that's going to happen to you? Let's say you're in uh, Flint, Michigan, and you have lead in your drinking water. And you were giving, and because you were incompetent at your job uh, as a government employee and everything, you poisoned tens of thousands of people, all different types of public health issues and everything else with lead in water. What, what happened? Nothing. Pretty much nothing happened to them. They got a slap on the wrist, some of the government uh, people. Uh, they got some of their convictions. That's all that's going to happen. But that's very, I assure you that situation happens all the time. Ask me about West Point and let me face pain issues, and I'll tell you all about them. All right? And other on-base housing for the military. Uh, so anyway, you go, nothing happens. You're a government, you're too, you do, this is the politician sets the agenda, this is what it is. You're going to make certain decisions. If you're a politician, you may get voted out of office, but usually because of what we discussed here on the in issue attention cycle, Generally speaking, forget about all that happened. And, you know, you're all, uh, you know, this is the way it is sort of thing. This is a problem. Nothing happens. And then you're not going to get sued because of a thing called sovereign immunity. Now, let's take this in context. September 11th. And again, it's really important that we discuss this stuff. So the next generation doesn't forget it. September 11th. What was the official government policy after an attack like that? Was to get everything up and running again. That's the official government policy. We can't afford to have things shut down. Stock market shut down. This shut down. That shut down. Right? Airlines shut down. We can't afford to have this. All right? The... Uh, at the time, there were government studies that came out that showed what the airline shut down and actually changed the ambient air quality. I believe it. But anyway, uh, so you go through all of this stuff again and again and again. Uh, so what kind of decision is going to be made, do you think? Any guess? The decision is going to be made to get back to work and to hell with the air quality. Because all of the, everything that we discussed on last Monday's program with the air quality at ground zero, all right, and the science and toxicology and everything, I'm not, I, I did a, do a pretty good job. Many people do it better than me. I'm, let's be honest. 
but I make I we do make an attempt here to communicate with people. That that knowledge had been around since probably the nineteen twenties and thirties and forties. So this is well known. What do you think happened? Nothing. People went in there. Oh, their air is good. I heard it. I heard it on the news. Then it will say, tell everybody the air is good, and they go down there. They don't wear respiratory protection. They don't go through basic decontamination stuff because, hey, the air is good. It's not, not a problem. Before you know it, you have people coming down with weird cancers, all different types of breathing issues, all different types of other stuff. And guess what? Nobody's held responsible for that. That's the way it is. Sovereign immunity. Let's say that you're in, you're a professional like me. Let's say that you're a CIH, certified industrial hygienist, certified hazardous materials manager, certified safety professional, or any other of the other 297 approximately different uh, safety credentials that have out there. You make a decision like that. What's probably going to happen to you? One, you're going to be sued. Two, the insurance company, I hope you have one hell of an insurance policy. Uh, no, you might go to jail, and you're going to held to a different standard because even though you might be doing the same job, same qualifications as somebody in charge, like from the government, you're the one who will probably be uh, having the full brunt of those of that liability. But let's not forget the most important thing here. The individual at the sharp end of the stick, what about them? What about them? What are they going to do? They're the ones getting hurt. They're the ones taking all the risk physically, emotionally, recovery-wise, everything else that goes into that. So that's what I want you to remember is who is a risk, who has the risk. Uh, we also gave information out on the different issues that come up here with this. I didn't even get into the industrial hygiene part of it, where people could be taking, uh, and this happened all the time on the asbestos jobs. They have one set of air samples that's in somebody's car that they run at the same time or in a back closet as the ones on the site. Then the ones on the site, they throw out in the work area, and then they send the ones that are in the car to the laboratory. They, no, there's no integrity. How often does that happen? Used to happen all the time. I know people who have done that who've gotten fired. I was uh, one of the reasons why I got into this industry. A friend of mine, right? I told him the thing hires me. It turns out that the person I was replacing was uh, doing industrial hygiene and the work crew he was with. There were bullies and everything else. So he said, Oh, air is fine. Don't worry about it. You need a respirator. You're great. He didn't do any of the air sampling or air monitoring. Right? So what were those guys? Again, you know, lack of supervision, what have you. So what's my point? Or let's sum this up. You got to look out for yourself. Look out for your family. Look out for your community. Ask those questions that I mentioned. Realize the uh, chemical exposures here. Well, uh, right, most chemical exposures do not have exposure limits. The most chemicals don't have exposure limits. No PEL, REL, uh, TLV, uh, anything like that. So, uh, again, educate yourself, prepare, things of that nature. We're going to take a break here, and I'm going to come back with, we're going to talk about some mental health issues here, and uh, we'll go from there. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to program success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety F platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with The Safety Pro, Sam Goodman 
with the Hopner, Sheldon Primus with the Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. OSHA recordables, catastrophic losses, environmental disasters. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Pol with Safety Wars. That's my daddy. You are listening to Safety Wars. Tomorrow's safety today. And we are on our hot message number five since it's Friday. This is Safety Wars, broadcasting to our brothers and sisters in the territory of behavior-based safety. Get out your secret decoder ring. Here is your nightly message. How you respond to failure matters. How you respond to failure matters. Okay. A couple years back, we had a disaster here, weather uh, 11 years now, a uh, event, Superstorm Sandy, uh, we're celebrating, I guess, or marking the 11th anniversary of, and no, this is, uh, and we have a focus here on TFM on our network on disaster, mental health, mental health in general. Uh, I had mentioned the mental health issue of one of my colleagues this afternoon. Uh, no, this at the beginning of the program, and it's always about. No, we can't. It's kind of hard for us to control other people. I think we can all attest to that. Very on how other people can react. We focus on how we react to stresses. But it, it occurred to me, I was thinking today, which is a dangerous thing. No, we tell people get mental health is- issues, but do we tell people don't negatively impact other people's mental health enough? Wouldn't that be a message that I send? So uh, there was a book out a couple of years ago, The No Asshole Rule. Forget who wrote it. It's upstairs, and I'm not going to get it now. It's up in the bedroom. I referred to it, The No Asshole uh, Rule. Or basically, you don't hire disagreeable people, people who are assholes. And that is uh, the other thing is this. What are you doing to positively impact other people's mental health? The one looks that don't hire somebody like uh, who's going to impact negative health, uh, mental health negatively. But are you the kind of person who goes out and causes stress in people's life just for enjoyment. I work with them. I see them all the time. It's nice to know that we actually are starting, at least on my projects, to gently coach people to point out that stuff. With stuff. And uh, it was the large, some of the larger companies I've worked with that started this. I found out that maybe if you're not an idiot, you're not a jerk, you can probably save them your probably save the company money because people are less likely to sue you if they if you have empathy towards them they have have more empathy towards you oh i'm not going to sue so and so he's such a nice guy i'm not going to sue such and such a company they're a good company when you go out there and you start and screaming and carrying on and everything else now all of a sudden you make the uh, negative attitudes right yield negative results and negative solutions, and a negative working environment, and toxic work environment. So if you recognize that in yourself, or you've been told that, you probably need to work on yourself, and at least have some self-awareness. So around 11 years ago, I wrote this, and it's still, I read read it through it a a couple of weeks ago, it's still pretty uh, relevant. 
Mental health and disasters is a very real hazard and may impact you your, and your coworkers. The totality of the hurricane damage, we're talking about Superstorm Sandy, may impact you negatively either in the short term, meaning immediate, or long term, weeks or months later. There are people who I know I could add years later to this. Sometimes the effects may not manifest themselves for weeks or months later. Physical complaints include fatigue, an upset stomach, vomiting, dizziness, heavy sweating, thirst, headaches, vision problems, jaw clenching, nonspecific certain pains, or disturbed sleep. You should immediately seek immediate medical attention and feel any of the following symptoms. Chest pain or other severe pain, difficulty breathing, symptoms of shock, such as shallow breathing, rapid or weak pulse, nausea, shivering, pale or moist skin, mental confusion, and dilated pupils. If you become confused or have trouble thinking clearly while you are working, you may not be able to stay focused, which could affect your ability to work safely. Thinking problems may include confusion, loss of awareness of time and place, changes in alertness, poor concentration, difficulty identifying familiar objects or people, memory problems, reduced attention span, or troubling, trouble doing math or solving problems. Strong emotions can be ordinary reactions to a traumatic or extra situation. You should seek mental health support if any of the following symptoms interfere with your daily life or if they don't go away after several weeks. Anxiety, guilt, denial, grief, fear, irritability, loss of emotional control, depression, a sense of failure, feeling overwhelmed, blaming others yourself, easy to startle, uh, no, uh, and being just confused. Possible behaviors to be aware of include intense anger, withdrawal, difficulty with emotional uh, emotional uh, control leading to emotional lapse or unusual aggression, recent change in appetite, consuming too much alcohol, caffeine, and or tobacco, inappropriate use of medicines, use of street drugs, inability to rest, pacing, or changes in sexual act. Now that could be that could go either way. Right, we'll leave it at we'll leave it there. You may not recognize the take care of yourself and to monitor your own emotional and physical health. This is especially true as response efforts stretch into seeks. Following guidelines contain simple for you to help yourself and fellow coworkers. Control the organization and pace of the rescue and recovery efforts. Number one. So pace yourself. Response efforts that the site may, may continue for days or weeks. Watch out for each other. Your coworkers may be intensely focused on a particular task and may not notice a hazard nearby or behind them. Be aware of those around you. You may feel exhausted, stressed, or be temporarily distracted, which may place you and your coworkers at risk. Take frequent rest breaks. Mental fatigue, particularly over long shifts, can place you at a greatly increased risk for injury. Maintain adequate nutrition, hydration, and rest. Number two, eat and sleep regularly. Maintain a normal, as, as normal a schedule as possible and adhere to uh, this team schedule and rotation. ANSI, uh, in the last 11, actually since the Gulf oil spill, I don't know if that was the uh, progenitor of the whole thing, but they came out with a work-rest schedule with that. Basically, 14 days on and a one day off. I know people, and I used to be one of them, who work every day out of these jobs. Uh, eat a variety of food. You know, eat well. Hydrate. Monitor your mental and emotional health. Recognize and accept. Cannot change. The chain of command, organizational structure, waiting, others, etc. You can't control that. Talk to people when you feel like it. You should decide when you want to discuss your experience. Talking about an event may make you like you are reliving it. Choose your own comfort level. If your employer provided you with a formal men provided you with formal mental health support, use it. Give yourself permission to feel sad, tired, or discouraged from time to time. You are in a difficult situation. Recurring thoughts, dreams, or flashbacks can be. Don't try to fight them, and they should decrease over time. Communicate with your loved ones at home as frequently as possible. 
So how about after then? Reach out for help and support. People do care. Reconnect with family, spiritual, and communities. Keeping a journal. Again, that's what I always say. Keep a journal on this stuff so people know. Remember this stuff. Remember that getting back to normal takes time, and it may not, and you may have a new normal. Be aware that assuming your normal activities is not a straight path, but can it be a matter of two steps forward and one step back, you'll make progress. Again, a routine will get a lot of things. That's my experience. Have a sense of humor. Your family may experience certain parts of the disaster along with you, uh, your stories, and the news media. And understand and communicate with them. Avoid overuse of drugs or alcohol. They can lead to other problems. Get plenty of rest and regular exercise. Eat well, balance or meals. Now, I'm going to say this to you also. Get help. If you need help, get help. Not, there's no shame in getting help. Uh, I'm uh, Someone very close to me ended up uh, committing suicide over this. Uh, 9-11. And, uh, you know, his family never recovered fully from it. I mean, they're seeing impacts today, uh, 22 years later, over it. Uh, I had mentioned my cousin passed away in the 1950s in a uh, confined space in a sewer in New York. That family never got over that. 30 years old. Family never got over it. Uh, we'll leave it at that. Uh, that part of the family. I didn't know him, obviously. I'm not that old. But... Uh, Bad things, bad things out there. So we're going to take a, another uh, break here, and we're going to come back with some OSHA news. Is your safety training old, stale, and hackneyed? Is your safety trainer still preaching a warped version of behavior-based safety? How about safety training that actually addresses your hazards in your workplaces and is not standardized? Below me from 25 years ago. Contact the Safety Wars team at safetywars.com or call Jim Holzel at 845-269-5772. Remember, if you're receiving this message, you are the solution to unsafe workplaces. Have you listened or watched uh, the Safety War show? It's stream live on, on the radio and um, on the streamer emers that we have. So if you have not taken a listen to Jim Bozel and what the hell he's doing every evening with uh, Safety Wars, I would, I would strongly encourage you to, um, to take a view or take a listen, um, whichever option is available for you, and take a listen to what the hell he has going on. Uh, it's definitely, it will take some deep dives and some information that you might be interested in. Okay, we are back. Safety Wars is streaming now. SafetyFM.com In a world where danger lurks in every corner, one man stands as a beacon of hope. Jim Polzel, a veteran safety expert with over three decades of experience, now bringing his knowledge to you, Safety Wars. Engaging, informative, and always relevant, that's Safety Wars. Join a safety station with Safety Wars, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts and videos. Okay, here we go. Uh, we haven't gone over all month, but for whatever reason, we're halfway through the month. There are only three press releases on the OSHA website. And this is where we favor giving information out on this. I know Sheldon Primus on his program, a couple of programs Discuss the new OSHA website. They've changed it. And uh, pretty impressive. Uh, change, a lot of changes. And how you can get information out there with the regulatory agendas and everything. And make yourself look like an expert in safety. Nationwide auto services provider exposed workers for potentially electrical hazard. Oh, let me. I'm sorry about this. I did not have the... Uh, uh, disclaimer, so I'm going to mention it real simple. We're getting all of our stories from uh, publicly available and open source uh, websites. Uh, a lot of these things may be litigated, vacated, or otherwise changed with the final outcome. I'm only going off of this stuff. I have no way to verify any of this information is uh, correct. 
on here. Uh, but we do our best, and we're not normally uh, involved in the stories we cover, even though sometimes that does happen. Like about a month ago, where I'm reading a, uh, one of these, and I said, oh, I was on that side. That was one of my projects many years ago. But anyway, I was an environmental cleanup. So a nationwide auto services provider exposed workers to potentially deadly electrical hazards at a Beechwood car wash, federal inspections fine. So this is from Beechwood, Ohio. While the potential deadly risks of mixing electricity and water are well-known, believe me, they're not well-known to a lot of people. A Beechwood company operated by a subsidiary of one of the nation's largest automotive service companies ignored reports of employees suffering electrical shocks for more than 14 months. A U.S. Department of Labor investigation has found. In response to a complaint of unsafe working conditions, the department's OSHA opened an inspection of the car wash in March 2023 and learned that employees are assigned to clean the walls of the facility with high-pressure water near electrical equipment, including a 480-volt electric panel not rated for wet or damp locations and showing signs of deterioration. Our investigation, this is a quote from OSHA Area Director Howard Everts in Cleveland. I'm going to omit the name of the company if I say it. It's inadvertent. Our investigation found that such and such car wash management knew that live electrical hazards existed throughout the facility and that the employees suffered electrical shock repeatedly, yet allowed them to continue to work in these conditions. It took several weeks to make repairs after it suffered an electrical shock. Now, if it was a fatality, it would have been called an electrocution. FYI, it is unsettling that a company with such vast resources would impose, expose employees to the potential risks of electric shock. Again, going back to what we said at the beginning, all right, what happened? Uh, no, what's the risk of people making the decision? Probably not. They're like, hell, well, this is a big company. What do I care? How about training for those employees and for that manager? A four five two six nine five seven seven two. Uh, in addition, ocean inspectors, and we'll go through. Let's see what we have. It's two hundred fifty six thousand seven hundred seven dollars in penalties uh, proposed. So here we have the press release. I'm sorry, the uh, OSHA. Uh, it's on here. The citations. You can go look them up on the news. Citation one item, type of violation, serious. Lockout tagout uh, violation, 1910-147. Procedures are not developed, documented, and utilized for the control of potentially hazardous energy when employees are engaged in activities covered by this section. And uh, the employer did not ensure that adequate control measures and lockout tagout procedures are utilized, and I hate that word, by employee, employees to control energy sources on the tracker tunnel equipment while conducting servicing and maintenance tasks. These were exposed to caught in and struck by hazards associated with unexpected machine startup or release of energy sources, such as but not limited to electrical and pneumatic energy when, control, uh, when energy control procedures are not utilized. That was the maximum $15,625. Citation one item 1B, serious. Again, lockout tagout procedures were lacking, and it has a big, long uh, thing, uh, thing, explanation. Zero dollars on this. All right. Citation one item C. This is rather large. Again, procedure for lockout tagout, not. Pardon me, guys. I know I'm on. Not uh, done, right? Uh, no, no procedures. Not done in sequence. Another zero dollars. Citation one, item two. Type of violation serious. They got the maximum. Again, lockout and tagout issues. No annual or frequent inspection of the control procedures to make sure that it was followed. That means no auditing. Citation one, item three, maximum 15,625. No training in lockout tagout. Citation one, item four, another maximum 15,625. Uh, this is a 1910 303. 
Unless identified for use in the operating equipment, conductors or equipment shall be located in damp or wet conditions or exposed to gases, fumes, vapors, liquids, or other agents. Okay, now this has a little bit of uh, explanation here. Gases are not fumes and vapors are not fumes, even though they're used uh, uh, interchangeably, colloquialisms. If you're an OSHA guy, if you're a safety professional, if you're a safety gal, uh, do not say fumes. It's a really bad leading indicator. When you say fumes, when you mean gases or vapors, that means that you're probably, unless it's a little mistake, that's not something a mistake you want to make. We're exposed to gases, fumes, liquids, and other agents that have a deteriorating effect on the conductors or equipment and is from people using a, a pressure washer on electrical equipment. I'm looking, nobody got killed here. Citation 1, item 4B. Where live, this is another 1910.33, where live parts presented an electrical contact hazard, employees performed housekeeping duties uh, such at such closeness to the parts there was a possibility of contact. That was $0. Citation 1, item 5, serious. Uh, again, uh, some access and working space was not provided. This is from 1910.303, and maintained around all electrical equipment. 13,394. Citation 1.6. No ground fault circuit interrupters where they needed them, which was on roof uh, tops and in bathrooms and outside areas. $8,909. Citation 1 item 6B. Serious. Flexible cords and cables are not approved for conditions of use. So what were they using here? The employer did not ensure that a flexible cord was not used in a coiled form, was not used in a coiled form. Okay, let's say that. Then you know that if you have a flexible cord that's in a coiled form, you could have, uh, you could have a, a heat problem with that and melt the insulation. With that, so hold on, hold on. This is not what that's true. What I just said, but the employer did not ensure the flexible cord, right, was not used in a coiled form in wet or damp environment to continually power the 120 volt appliance, right? AO Smith electrical storage employees utilizing this bathroom were exposed to hazards associated with an unapproved use of the extension cord, likely to result in overheating and damages to. Uh, it's internal parts. So, not okay. So, I hate these negatives from there. You have an extension cord. You cannot use it when it's coiled up because it heats up and it melts. Real simple. They define them on that, uh, but, uh, right? Type of violation series. Employees are not trained. This is in 1910 We're not trained in, and familiar with safety related work practices required by. Uh, 1931 and 1910 335 on electrical stuff. 15,625 maximum fine. And uh, the, the 1910-335 A1 citation 1 item 7B, no PPE for working with electrical equipment. That was zero. Now here comes the big ones. The big ones. Type of violation, willful serious. 1910 G2I. Or numeral one. Live parts of electrical equipment operating at 50 volts or more were not guarded against accidental contact by the use of approved cabinets or other forms of approved enclosures or by them any by any of the means identified in subparagraphs A through D of the standard. So again, the employer failed to ensure that live parts inside the 120 volt cabinets and boxes are regarded with approved cabinets. Or enclosures to prevent accidental contact. Employees were exposed daily to electrical hazards, likely to result in electrocution when working near unguarded live parts of a car wash equipment, including those listed below. And it goes on. $156,259. Right? Now, what do you do here if you're an employer? One, 
That's uh, be responsible and do what you're supposed to. Number one. Number two is this. Send. I, I'm sure that a supervisor, manager, or something knows nothing about OSHA here or doesn't care. That might be the problem here, lack of knowledge. The guy, I'm assuming it's a guy, because often women don't do this kind of crap. I'm sorry, I'll, be, I'll say, put it out there. But uh, not many, I'll say that. So here we have... Uh, Number two, we have a roofing contractor, uh, roofing, and uh, they got fined a little wallop here. What was the total amount here? $205,000. They had one, two, three, four serious, one willful serious, and one other than serious violation. Let's run through them. And this was out of Trenton, Missouri. The employer, citation one, item one, the employer did not develop, implement, or, or maintain at the workplace a written hazard communication program, which describes how the criteria specified in 29 CFR 1910-1200, FG and H, will be met. 13,394. No HASCOM. I'm going to guess the next one It was HASCOM training. They didn't have the HASCOM plan. Now they did not have the HASCOM training because they can't do the training if they don't have a plan. First one was 13394 Second one was zero. Here, no training on that HASCOM plan. Citation one, item two, $8,920. What do you think that was? No safety glasses or face shields. Citation one, item three, a type of violation series. The employer did not provide a training program for each employee potentially exposed to fall hazards to enable each employee to recognize the hazards of falling and the procedures to be followed in order to minimize the hazards. It's 15,005. Citation two, item one. One hundred willful. Full series, $156,259. Each employee on a walking and working surface on an unprotected side rail, which was six feet or more above a lower level, was not protected from falling by the use of guardrail systems, safety net systems, or, or personal fall arrest systems. Had pizza for dinner, very salty. Pepperoni. That's huh? I'm drinking here. Citation three, item one. This is a recording. This is a recording violation. The employer did not report an inpatient hospitalization, amputation, or loss of an eye as a result of a work-related incident to OSHA within 24 hours. That was $11,162. Her grand total was $5,369. Now, uh, for you folks on the live radio, this is probably going to run over time. I got one more story here uh, on this and uh, with us. So a little bit more background on here. Uh, the roofing and coating company allowed a foreman and another worker to continue working without fall protection until they finished their shift. Right. Uh, and, eight, and this is as a result, an 18 year old employee of a Missouri contractor was applying steel into a commercial building's roof when he fell more than 22 feet and suffered serious injuries that left him in a coma, coma for five days before dying. But they still let, told everybody to continue working. And I think that that's probably, especially on the willful one, that's probably why they got a willful violation there. Uh, with that, because they knew it was a hazard, they didn't fix it nowhere else, guess what? Uh as, you know, you're not going to negotiate that down so easily. Experience. And U.S. Department of Labor seeks help of employees from a poultry company, uh, as in uh, from Matt. I'm sorry. Is that the name of the town? No, it can't be. From a uh, company in Hatesburg, Missouri, as investigators, uh, I'm sorry, Mississippi, as uh, investigations into young teens that that Hatesburg plant continues. So real short, 
U.S. Department of Labor investigators are seeking to interview employees at a poultry plant as they continue their probe into the death of a 16-year-old worker in July. So, uh, if you recall, this kid wasn't even supposed to be in the plant working. And uh, the uh, the uh, uh, press release goes on and says, look, there's whistleblower protections. So, that's all we got for tonight. Uh, let's go on over how much time do I have left on the live show? And we'll go from there. Okay, one minute and 13 seconds. Pardon me, I'm hiccups here. One minute and 13 seconds. And uh, we'll see you next week, unless I get out on the weekend. We'll see what happens. Uh, good night, everybody. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be in the real world as the only solution available as they are only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored, retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. Good night, everybody.